Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 217. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we delicately cut off the crust of the bread on our democracy sandwich because it makes it more gentle on the mouth that is America. Today, we're going to talk about America's mouth, by which I mean the elections, and we'll do a little pandy update, and we'll also talk about sweatpants. Yeah, we're going to do a full segment on sweatpants. Today, I have the best panel. I mean, if you thought, oh, what do you, what kind of panel do you want for this post-Labor Day feeling where you wish you weren't working, but you kind of still have to work, um, this would be the panel because they're the, the, the smartest, the chattiest, you know, great fucking talkers. Uh, we have with us for, um, I don't know how many times she's done the show. She's uh, a veteran of the show. Author of the book, The Opposite of Hate, A Field Guide to Repairing Our Humanity, which is the kind of title that fills me with hope and optimism because that's the kind of person she is. She's an activist. She's a writer. You've seen her writing literally everywhere. She's so fantastic. She's Sally Cohn. Hey, Sally. Hi, love. How are you? <laughs> um, I feel better seeing your face. Uh, oh my gosh, that joining- literally is how I feel. Sorry, go ahead. Keep going. So sorry. <laughs> but it is true. It's a great we, face. Um, thank you, Sally. Yours, I mean, not mine. 
but go on. Sorry. <laughs> Sally's just holding a mirror. Um, we have with us also um, writer, and it's funny because I thought she's been on this podcast because I've been on her podcast, uh, and which is why I know she's so fantastic. She's a writer. She's a podcast host, and the podcast is called Just Between Us, by the way, uh, which you should immediately be subscribing to. She's a mental health advocate. She's fantastic, and she is Allison Raskin. Hey, Allison. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, my God. Thank you for being here. Let us, folks... Get into it with topic number one. Um, let's talk about the pandemic. I, mean, <laughs> I really don't want to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I'm a normal person. Mm-hmm. And here's what's weird. Also, I, I'm kind of I'm leaning on you guys extra hard today because I fully tuned out for the last week. Like I, oh you, wow! You could you could tell me, you know, um, you know that George and Amal broke up. I will have had no knowledge <gasps> of it. They did not. I don't know. Did they? They didn't. <laughs> right in this last week, that didn't happen. Twenty twenty can't give me we, any more bad I, news. <laughs> How did it feel to unplug like that? It felt pretty good. I mean, I can see how being an uninformed citizen. Um, feels good sometimes. Totally. <laughs> like we right. shouldn't do it all the time. We should have a little dose of knowledge every day. I don't think, I think you should turn your notifications off and I think you should ha- take in the knowledge when you're prepared after your morning cup of coffee and only for a short period of time. But uh, it's good to like take a week and like not have even that just to like not have any doses. Mm-hmm. But so let's figure out what's going on with the pandemic. One of the first things I headlines I saw coming back in to the world was that a bunch of drug makers sign a pledge that they would, quote, stand with science and not put forth a vaccine um, that hasn't been thoroughly vetted. Um, why did they do that, <laughs> Sally? I mean, it's so 2020, right? Like, <laughs> I know. I mean, it's just, just okay, like, I know half the country doesn't believe in science, apparently. <laughs> uh, you know, the idea that basic you know, fundamental human survival should bow to science and not politics would have been a fairly obvious assumption, you know, for the first 300 odd years of America's existence. But now, now 2020 being what it is, is under question. And so the idea that you might have, and I think that's the, you know, overt and covert implication of this, that you would have a president and a political party that would pressure uh, a uh, remedy to market for political gain uh, <laughs> is just so super fitting uh, in, the, in the hellscape that is 2020. By the way, after, and I can't, you didn't add this in your thing, but after like it just, it just exploded today, the recordings, God love Bob Woodward, he recorded his conversations with Trump, Trump saying he deliberately downplayed the virus early on. So you're going to downplay the virus and the science early on, and then you're going to shortchange. You can all see him doing it, the science now to get, uh, you know, to get a remedy so that you can hopefully save your electoral prospects. I mean, good Lord. Wait a second. This, did this just come out? I did, it did yeah, just come out. Today. Yeah. I did not see it. I was well, on another Zoom Well, that's because you were preserving call. your sanity. You were being sane. <laughs> no, it's okay. Wait, and so there's actual, so did you hear the recording? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wow. It's like from Did March, he... and he's like, "Yeah, it's killing everybody. It's bad." Oh my god! 
And then he's like, yeah, you know, I, I'm downplaying it, though, because I don't want to start a panic. Which, like, right. on the one hand, a more competent leader, I understand the motivation right, 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 right. of, like, we've got this under control. As long as we do this and this, it'll be okay. But he was being like, no one will die. It's fine. That's not downplaying it. Yeah. That's just lying no, about it. No, it's just it. lying. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah, after his, like, national security team had said this is going to be the single greatest domestic threat during your presidency. Like, I mean, it, it, it's it's very clear. And the point at which, you know, there's a two-month period in between the one data point and the other, right? So it's like two months after he realized the severe gravity of it, he's still telling Bob Woodward on tape that he was trying to downplay the severity of it. I mean, it's just like... Wow. Also, yeah. he still is. Doesn't he know the thing he about... But doesn't he know the thing about Bob Woodward? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Why do people talk to him? Right? I mean, like, that's, the, that's the backstory I'm missing. I'm like, wow. And they're... Reco- I mean, okay, you know? Like, but it's okay. Bob it's okay. Woodward. I can't wait. He's going to start bashing Bob Woodward and, you know, attacking the guy in the recordings who's him, but not him. I don't know. He thinks Bob Woodward is like an intern at the post. You know what I mean? (laughs) He just, he's like, who is this? Did you, I thought it was a kid that I was, um, okay. So thanks for, for breaking that news to me. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but can, let's get back to the, the, the play. Sorry, I, I went off. No, no, I, that's, Mm. I didn't, that's part of it now. I didn't know. Um, let's get back to the pledge. Now there's a lot of things around this vaccine. Um, Allison, do you think that there's going to be a vaccine October surprise? And if it does happen, would you be less confident in that vaccine? Absolutely. I wouldn't take it. (laughs) I mean, I, I understand why they did the pledge. And I actually, if I had any trust in pharmaceutical companies, I'd be like, oh, that's actually a good thing. But pharmaceutical companies are historically horrible um, for just so many reasons. But I, I understand why they had to do it because, like, it's clear that Trump and the FDA is is pushing for this release before the election so that people could be like, oh, Trump saved us. Now we can vote for him. But the reality is that all of these phase three testing, which just takes a long amount of time and like, you know, like reading the articles that we sent for the show, like you need 30,000 people pretty much per test. And like these tests that are like happening, I don't even think that they all even have the amount of volunteers that they need. Like it's just not like feasible that it could happen correctly. There is like the chance that they would do this thing called like the emergency use authorization. Right. And that's where things get really scary for me because then the FDA is approving it, but they're approving it under like less restrictions. Yeah. So like they'll have had to prove less for it to be like authorized. But the reality is like, even if it happens before, let's say that they're like, okay, we approved this vaccine before November 3rd, you still have to like implement it, like to get it Mm -hmm. out to like, all of America, it's right, going, right, that right, rollout right. is going to take months. And months, so yeah, there's yeah. such right. like... But also a rollout of a vaccine that's potentially dangerous. Exactly. And that's the thing is like, the, the thing we don't talk about enough is if you put out a bum vaccine, mm-hmm. you are spending and expending all of those resources, which are very limited. It's actually hard to make vaccines. It's hard to make them at scale and quickly. And so let's say in that interim period an actual effective vaccine were to come into the space, 
you wouldn't be able to mobilize as quickly with an effective vaccine. And the problem, of course, is having Trump and the Trump administration overseeing all this when it's been clear that he has a very low threshold for what he will inject in his own body. Right. But so, do you really think that he took that? I don't believe that for a second. I don't know. But the point is, or like the whole, like, let's put ultraviolet light and Clorox right. in Clorox. people. He's just, he's just on he... so many drugs. His body has a different tolerance than the rest so, of us. <laughs> I just think like, you know, and then on top of which, by the way, is, I mean, you, you, we haven't even got into the fact that you have now the government giving money, mm-hmm. massive amounts of taxpayer money to private corporations where... If they fail to create a vaccine, then we, the taxpayers, are, on, are, are the losers here. But if they succeed in creating a vaccine, those companies get an exclusive patent and are going to rake it in. I mean, it's just and then the whole like, you know, it's another layer of the sort of profiteering and the corruption, the kind of corruption. That, right. You know, I, Trump has I, only expanded. Can I inject a note of optimism <laughs> in here? Um, that was clever. Which, which I, um, okay, I, the thing that actually, first of all, I come from a family of doctors, and so I have like a deep faith in uh, medicine and medical science just because I've lived, you know, I've grown up with it my whole life. I've seen it in action. It's been f- wonderful. It's like, you know, I've seen um, family members, uh, get, you know, renewed leases on life, um, through surgery and, and advancements in cancer treatment and blah, 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 blah. So super, super duper into it. Um, and, and, and interestingly, I have a family member who helps pharmaceutical companies run clinical trials. Those clinical trials are unbelievably, intense and rigorous, right? They're, they don't fuck around. I understand that they have a profit motive, but the scientists and the doctors that are working there um, are, are, are scientists and doctors. You know what I mean? Like they don't necessarily, oh, you know, oh, they I, may be raking in it. I don't know. But like the point is like, so I'm, I don't want to besmirch everybody because we have like a garbage president. I do. I mean, I can see the the concern, right? But the, here's the note of opt. So, so that's my, per, my personal thing of like being more trustful of like medical technology. I, I just am. But on the other, the thing that I think can be helpful um, to remember for all of us is, is that this big note of optimism, which is that this is happening globally. So mm-hmm. we may not trust Donnie, but do we trust, um, f- you know, uh, François Macron? Wait, is this Emmanuel Macron? <laughs> do we trust, uh, you know, Angela Merkel? Do we trust all these global leaders that are a part of this right now and the European Union and their version of the FDA and all of that stuff? And I have to wait, say, wait, wait. Why I does do. He get, why does he get the sexy pronunciation and she gets the, like, nasal pronunciation? Because, oh, because shit. I got to tell you, I, I trust I her. Um, I trust her way more. Okay. All right. All right. So can let, let me right? do She's a, an actual scientist. Let's let not me do forget. Your, no, that's a, your, that's exactly, that's why right? we should be and feeling good about this process. Centrist. These, I know it's true, but, but uh, I, I, let, I me do a, let me do this. I just don't trust right. a vaccine in October. Yeah. Like, right. I absolutely think that there will be a vaccine right. and but like, I think, I'm optimistic even like maybe by January, but just right. the push to have it before the election is completely political and not It's p- completely, no, absolutely, absolutely. But I think the thing that will, you know, w- determine whether or not, 
you know, we should feel really good about it is the international community's reaction to whatever vaccine, you know what I mean? Because there are so many world leaders involved um, that uh, I think we're going to be, we're going to be good. And then, and, and whether, you know, if Angela Merkel, was that more sexy? Better. So okay. Sexier, yeah. <laughs> Angela Merkel. That's a, I'm doing it in a French yeah, accent. I don't, yeah, it's, I can't it's, it's not really German. German. You can't, you can't make Angela German Merkel. sexy. I think you it's more like that. Sexy, Angela Merkel. <laughs> it's not um, sexy. German's not sexy. Yeah, German's not sexy. If Germans want to have sex, they go to France. <laughs> <laughs> or they keep and their mouth shut. That explains the Vichy regime. Oh. Hey, what? Um, okay, <laughs> I don't even know what I just did to World War II right there. Um, Wait, international regimes though? Can I just say this is the please. same thing? Like I was one of those people. I might have even had this conversation with you. Where like in 2016, mm. we're like, oh, he's bad. But don't worry, our institutions will protect us. How bad can it get? How you know, right? And like you realize, oh, it can really get fucking mm-hmm. bad. And just how much damage one lead, obviously very powerful position leader can do in one country and the ripple effects that has around the world. And so it really is like, and you look at something like this and it is where our relations with China matter in this kind of situation, right? Our relations with, you know, the the European (laughs) Union's relations, right? Uh Our, Our relations with those countries matter. Not to mention with Brazil and India and the other countries that are struggling most significantly with this virus. And again, it does come back to, you know, it's a, it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? When it comes to pharmaceutical companies in particular, where of course, some of the things that they have invented and created have been life-saving. And some of the things that they have pushed and profited off of have been unnecessary and exploitative. And it, both things right. are true. And the amount of money that they use for innovation and invention is true and the amount of you know excuse that they use to buffet their profits and say that it's for innovation is also true my worry is twofold it's how do we make sure we have a safe vaccine in this country when the political motive is just so overwhelming Mm -hmm. right it's the same reason we're not doing enough testing too right i mean we are completely he is completely putting politics ahead of public health over and over and over again since january But also, how do we make sure that the people around the world who need access to a vaccine have access to a vaccine? Right. And how do we have leadership from all countries in the global north making sure that's possible? I also want to put, w- inject another note of optimism, which is that... Now, it's not vac- as funny the second time. I, <laughs> I want to do a, a nasal spray of another <laughs> note of optimism, <laughs> which, is, um, w- which is that, it, and the vaccine may not even be the answer, right? It may be this sort of like 15 minute every morning COVID test, mm-hmm. right? Like those, mm-hmm. those are the things that may actually be the answer to the problem as opposed to, you know, we don't, we don't, we're not, epidemiologists are not putting all of their eggs um, uh, in a uh, vaccine basket, if you will. Correct. So, uh, so I, I'm, uh, I, you know, the, the, I think D- Donnie is because it's easier to just make that announcement to like glaze over what you talked about, Allison, the fucking rollout, you know, all of that stuff. Um, that said, we have run out of time on this subject. So, <laughs> but I, uh, that was but I so do, smooth. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I will, uh, you know what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to take a quick break so we can talk about sponsors, uh, whom we love and who keep the lights on here at Fake the Nation. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about um, politics. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, education app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help. Because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, so stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And we are back. Uh, and we're Woo. ready for topic number two. Okay, so I want us all to knock on wood. As I say, are you knocking? Are you? I don't see you knocking. Yes, I'm right okay, here. Thank you. Please knock. Biden has a steady lead. Uh, that's Joe Biden, by the way, in case you were confused who I was talking about, who's running for president of the United States of America. Um, it, it's been just a steady lead. 
mean? Study. Uh, now, I don't believe I know, it for a second. I know, I know. <laughs> I know that there is no hope and that God is watching. But at the same time, I do have to, like, it's after Labor Day. The general election has officially begun. I mean, Donnie isn't doing so great. What are your impressions, Allison? I just think that polling is so flawed, that amount yeah. of, of, like, power we give it because of who they're polling the fact that like trump supporters are just not going to take part in polls uh, trump supporters might just like be ashamed that they're voting for trump and not not give the right answer like also just how much these national polls don't matter because of the electoral college so in all of the battleground states the lead is significantly less um, and that's really the only states where it matters. So it's like, yeah, like, okay, so nationally he's got like 10 points. But if you go to like Pennsylvania or something, it's like two points with the, with the you know, like right. the chance for error, they're neck and neck. So I, I just think that it's a really dangerous game to be like, oh, cool, we've got this. Like, I think that Democrats need to be acting as though we don't because I don't think we have it. And the moment we're like, oh, Biden's going to win, less people are going to vote, less people are going to go through the hassle of it, and we're just going to like lose support. So I think that we need to push the narrative of like, oh, my God, he might win again. We have to do everything we can not to let that happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I but I do want to, um, you know, add a little note of um, optimism because <laughs> we're only doing optimism here on Faith Nation, which is that in Georgia, for example, you know, so we, we think a lot about how the polls are wrong um, and, and in a way that could only hurt Democrats. Uh, in Georgia, they have managed to register over 750,000 more people to vote. That's amazing. Those voters are, by and large, people of color. So they're also, by and large, Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 polls are doing likely voters that do not include this new mm-hmm. influx of voters that have been registered. So for so polls in Georgia may undercount mm-hmm. Democrats, you know, because of this new I- influx. I'm just you. It, there are possibilities out there. That said, oh, we should live in fear. I mean, I don't disagree <laughs> with that. <laughs> um, Sally, what do you think? I love how, like, you don't pay attention to the news for a week, Nagin, and you're a fucking optimist. I mean, it's just that goes to <laughs> show that's all it takes. Look, um, uh, I mean, part of the problem is, is you know, there, there are kind of two camps, right? There, well, I guess there's three. There are people who are going to live and die by polls forever. Yeah. There are people who and their name is Nate Silver, right? I know there are people who, you know, like myself, who definitely thought like there were problems with the polling industrial complex well before 2016, namely that it tries to sort of gamify and predictify out an election, which really includes human variables, and and it takes it takes a certain amount of power away from people. I think to sort of say, oh, it looks like it's going to be this way. Oh, it looks like it's going to be that way. Mm -hmm. Well. You know, then in a country where our votes, frankly, don't matter enough as is, period, and then especially depending on the state you're in and so forth, it it just is disempowering, I think. Um, and uh, then there's a camp that post-2016 said, oh, my gosh, the polls are all wrong. And actually, the polling, the way polls are weighted, I won't get into the whatevers of it, but like changed a lot of so a lot of the polls we're seeing now are actually re-weighted 
in a way that they believe corrects for, for what they didn't see coming in 2016. Yeah. The short answer is who the fuck knows? <laughs> Polls are, I mean, like, do we, this is the problem is like, do we remember? And then you get like these people will be like, oh, well, this guy who's predicted every election. So who the fuck knows? Nobody fucking knows. Here's what I do know. <laughs> what Allison said is right. If we believe our side, whatever our side is, is likely to win, it, the press has turned out. We, I know that's true. Number two, we know for fucking sure that Republicans, including Trump, are going to do everything they Wait, can. Wait, I'm sorry, Sally. Can you repeat that? Can you repeat that one more time? The, oh, we, that if that we, we believe, think, mm-hmm. if we think Biden, let me be more explicit. Yeah, if okay, Democrats let's be explicit. and progressives think that Biden is a shoe in for a landslide, they the won't turn out. Okay. They turn the press turn right. out, especially okay. and, especially when there's a pandemic and. There's all these other hurdles to voting, right? And especially when, by the way, there are fucking four swing voters left in the entire country and Democrats <laughs> focus way too much on them and need to focus on energizing and turning out their base. Now, if they had done that all along, if we'd understood this, we might have had a different nominee, but whatever. Even still, we need to be energizing and turning out our base and not fighting over those four fucking swing voters. And when you think you're the what we need to win are unlikely and infrequent voters from our side and when they think it's more likely to be a landslide in biden's favor they will not turn out so we know that number one we know number two that trump and the republicans are going to do everything they can to suppress what they believe to be democratic voters and thus suppress voters young voters voters of color and contest the election if it is anything other than a landslide and probably even that right so that that then it becomes even more important for people to turn out now i will tell you this hmm even all that said, so I, uh, so I'm from around Allentown, Pennsylvania. It's the seventh congressional district in PA, one of the most hotly contested uh, congressional races right now. Uh, a district that I believe Trump narrowly won, but that Susan Wilde, Democrat, turned uh, won for the first time in some time, but is now facing a really mm. uh, tight race for re-election. Um, when I was home this weekend visiting my folks. Without a doubt, and this is not the only place in the country I've experienced this, without a doubt, more Trump signs than in at the same time in 2016. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean people feel safer to show their support? Does that mean support has grown? It's hard to know. Either way, it's disturbing. Mm -hmm. You would think in this moment where we say, oh, but he's you know, and we're talking a very contested district in a very contested state. The are a lot of su- suggestions that the whole election will hinge on Pennsylvania. So what does that suggest? It suggests that in this election where supposedly he's on the ropes. Right. And, you know, how could he possibly win re-election given the buffoonery upon top of buffoonery and now a global pandemic? And then he attacked. You know what? There are still people who are s- either so still proud of him or newly proud of him that they are flying multiple flags in their front yards big ass flags by the way and i don't see that many biden signs why so do you i just think say it's scary i yeah can't tell Wait, you can I... I actually it's really i try to be i actually made a living like studying i mean you read my book i made a living trying to study and understand people who i don't agree with that's been my bread and butter it is really it is hard to understand I mean, I do think there it goes back to the sort of core Republican idea from Nixon through Reagan of people's fears, right? He is definitely, he motivates people's fears. Uh, he gins up their fears in order to be the, you know, 
the the guy who can solve them. The fact that, of course, he is actually the arsonist <laughs> creating the fires and not the firefighter putting out the fires is almost a nuance here to them. I, it's very, you I know, think it's there it's, is it's, like it's, a brainwashing that has taken place where I, well, I, I feel think, I feel like yeah. a cult, like I feel like this is like a it's like QAnon. It's the same thing if just like the they have been drank the Kool-Aid and like they need to be like, um, what is it when you go in and you steal your kid back from a cult? Like, and then you yeah, have to like untrain them. Reprogramming. <laughs> they or have to be like, like reprogrammed. Right, 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 right. Well, it's interesting, Allison, because what, there's a, you know, looking at, back at the polls, um, there was a bunch of polls, you know, that found this kind of like lead, he, uh, you know, for, for Biden, right? But the one, air, and then, then they broke down the surveys. Mm-hmm. The one Biden led on basically everything. Like, do you think he can handle coronavirus? Do you think you can handle racial justice? Do you think he can handle schools? What all that stuff Biden was in the lead, 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 lead. But on the one question where Trump had an edge, it was the economy. And it's baffling because we're in a recession. Mm-hmm. So how and and we're gonna lose a, like a third to a half of all small businesses. I mean, how is this man? Getting, I it's, it's an honest question. Do you have a do you have any sense of why these people would, you know, survey respondents would think that Trump has an edge on the economy? Would we a better shepherd of the economy? It's like I'm honestly asking because I don't understand. I think that they have bought into him being a businessman. Like they don't care that all of his businesses failed, but he has like presented himself as a businessman. And they believe what he says, and he says that he will run the com- the country like a business. And the fact that the stock markets, I mean, they've been volatile, but they've not been as bad as you would think. And there's days where they're great. And it's so interesting because it's like a lot of his base, I can't imagine, are even involved in the stock market, but like, or yeah, to like a significant no, exactly. extent. Well, their the, pensions are in there, right? Yeah. I mean, so I think, they're, it, they're their 401ks, I think it's a so lot yeah. about 401ks. I think it's a lot about, yeah. okay, these people are getting to retirement age and they want right. to make sure that they do not lose their money. And like, and they, and they're like, oh, this man is a businessman. The stocks have been okay. Uh, he's hard on China, so he'll get us business, which is not correct. What? Like, I know. Do you know, I what, know I mean? what I mean? Like, yeah, he's yeah. like, oh, he's mad at just, China. Like, connections. So then yeah. we'll get we'll get to make things. Like, I think there's just so much misinformation and just like a lack of understanding. But right. They're not doing any critical thinking, and so they're just taking what he says at face value. You know, value. because it, it's like even the payroll tax. You think of the payroll tax that he was the, – the, that executive order mm-hmm. that came down or whatever a few weeks ago that he was going to cut payroll tax. The payroll tax – it wasn't a, a – a, a, it was a deferral of the payroll tax. So I think right. it, there was a spin out there like you're not going to have to pay payroll tax mm-hmm. except for the payroll tax would come due in the following yeah. year. So instead of paying your payroll tax – by the way, you have a job, so pay your payroll tax. Um, instead of paying it like you normally would through your regular job at a regular timeline, it would it would build up and then hit you <laughs> at a certain point in 2021, and then you'd be like, "Fuck," you know. And so right. that's like a weird thing that uh, somehow can get spun as he's giving us more money. You know what I mean? Even though that's not at all what's happening. So it's Look, even um, after it's I bizarre. S- even after I said what I said about having a hard time understanding it in the aggregate, right? Like, yeah. I do tend to think, oh, well, that thing he just said, that's going to collapse it, right? But it's, so I do think, I, listen, there is some rationale to it. Uh, and I, I I try very hard not to condescend 
to people just because I don't agree with them doesn't mean I can't actually try to understand them. And, and if I assume that they don't have reasons or their reasons are stupid, then I am guilty of the kind of condescending elitism that arguably drove voters to Trump, right? And so he's a very weird avatar for what he represents, right? As a, you know, supposed millionaire or billionaire with a gold toilet for him to be this sort of, you know, exclusionary economic populist. But here he is. And he has said things rhetorically that maybe don't all match up. I'm going to fight for the farmers and the coal miners. Well, he hasn't. And maybe in the case of coal miners shouldn't. But it is true that both parties, the elite of both parties, pushed trade deals that benefited global multinational corporations and hurt American workers. It's just true. It, by the way, also hurt Mexican farmers, right? I mean, it's that is straightforward. And so when he says, you know, I'm against NAFTA and I'm going to renegotiate it, there's a reason it resonates, right? When he talks about bringing back American jobs. Again, he doesn't have the strategy, he doesn't have the tools, but the the grievance... Right. I mean, what the Republicans did, what he did was collect grievances. It's a it's a campaign platform based on on these kind of ill-defined grievances that like you were saying, Allison, that don't that that aren't logical um, that also uh, that but it but there are no strategies or plans like there is no platform to the platform, which is where I think the Democrats have like a really great opportunity because people want to vote for things. They don't want to vote against things, right? That's like the thing we keep hearing. Um, And so Biden has plans, right? He's got, you you know, he's got healthcare plans. He's got, you know, pre-K plans. He's got childcare plans. He's got plans. He's got coronavirus plans. There are plans, there are plans, there are plans. Um, And so there are things that we can, that they can actually go out and talk about. Uh, Whereas I think one of the, you know, for those four swing voters that are going to determine the election, they're, you know, there's very little that they can like hold on to uh, when it comes to Donnie. It's, it's more just these like vague like um, notions about China, something. You know what I mean? <laughs> and those things are well, and fear of the world changing vague. and their own irrelevant. I mean, there is a cultural right. I don't want to skim over the white supremacist elements of this, right? right? And the like fear that the world is changing and your place in it is changing, even though that is actually what justice means. If there is equality, it does mean that some people have to have less. Uh, in relative terms, uh, but some some sort of vague notion about that combined with this fear, right? They're coming to change the suburbs, the violence in the city. I mean, you talk to Fox News viewers. Yeah. I swear to God, they genuinely believe right now that outside my window here in New York, there people must be are like being burning murdered. cars yeah. and people are being murdered. And, right? Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, they truly fucking believe that. Yeah. But there is another thing at, at play here, which is like, how cognitive dissonance works. You don't want to be told that you were wrong for voting the way you voted the first time. And so the, 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 and, and it's very, it is actually significant that Trump very effectively plays the victim and this message that he is just being attacked and hated. And the way he translates that to, to Allison's point about being in a cult, right? Part of the psychology of being in a cult is that you're under attack. Right, 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 right. And right, so right. you have to cling even more tightly to the group, right? Right to defend your identity, your choices, your existence, and that is a reality. With I think a lot of Trump voters is that they feel they almost more 
deeply commit to their choice because they feel criticized, told that they're stupid or racist or whatever for supporting him. And and right or wrong, like that's the reality. There we are. Which is why uh, we all have to get so excited about voting. (laughs) I just want to end this segment by letting you all know, well, we're going to we're going to highlight some races as well. But I want to let you all know what's happening in Virginia. Earlier this year, when they got that um, majority Democrat in the General Assembly there in Virginia, um, they cut the requirement that voters provide an excuse to get an absentee ballot. They eliminated an unnecessary restrictive voter ID law. They created a 45-day early voting window. 45 fucking days. How amazing is that? They introduced a system to automatically register eligible people. They did that all before the pandemic. And now, adding to that, adding to that, folks, they're removing the requirement for the witness signature because of social distancing makes that difficult. So they want to kind of make it easier easy for people to vote in person. Um, They set aside $2 million to pay for postage on absentee ballots because what if you don't have a stamp? What if you have to like actually go to a post office and buy a stamp and then you're like, ah, and then you don't vote, right? They eliminated all of that. Virginia is doing so fantastic. Um, So thank you, Virginia. Let us quickly, (laughs) though, highlight some races uh, in uh, a segment we like to call Races to Watch, uh, or I don't know what we've been calling it. I think we've been calling Calling it races to watch. Um, so let me. Uh, a few people have emailed me about Sima Lajvedar. Well, let me see. Laj. Laj. Lajvedarian. Oh, there, there it is. I'm Iranian, and I. This is an Iranian name, but it took me a second. Uh, Sima Laj Lajvedarian is the Democratic candidate for congressional district two in Texas. She's a Houston attorney, mother, cancer survivor, activist. Folks, look her up. Are you in District 2? Maybe you should be voting for this Iranian woman. Hey. Um, also, I want uh, to thank Carol Ann, who um, who wants us to look at West Virginia. There's a lot of progressive candidates um, running against conservative incumbents in West Virginia. For example, Hillary Turner um, was inspired by the climate crisis to run for the House against Carol Miller. Paula John Swearingen is running against Shelley Moore Capito. Um, Swearingen is a coal miner's daughter, coal miner's daughter, in, uh, who's passionate about Medicare for all. Uh, so there's there's some interesting stuff going on in West Virginia. Take a look. And um, also, Carol Ann, registered to vote, um, sorry, registered to be a poll worker for the general election. So thank you, Carol Ann, for doing, um, doing God's work. Uh, also, Andrew in Pennsylvania, Wanted to share that Pennsylvania, uh, uh, we talked about the different states and how they're handling um, voting. Pen- uh, Pennsylvania is emailing you when you um, when your mail-in application has been received so that you'll know that they received it. Um, when the ballot is sent, they email you. The ballot is received to the email address on the application form. They email you. So it sounds like there's a lot of communication going on there, which I think is great. Um, individual counties are also setting up sa- uh, satellite locations um, to get around campaign uh, Donnie's uh, campaign to prevent drop boxes. Um, and in theory, these locations would let someone register, request a paper ballot, get the ballot immediately, return it immediately, blah, blah, blah. So um, there's a lot of uh, action going on there in Pennsylvania, which you were just talking about. And then can you remind them, Sally, of that hotly contested district that you're from? Uh, Pennsylvania's 7th Congressional, Susan Wild, uh, amazing, uh, you know, bold, visionary, just uh, just the kind of like, from a, from a congressional district, it just wasn't getting ignored, frankly. 
uh, by its representative, by its Republican representatives, finally uh, elected a real hard worker and do-gooder in Susan Wilde, and she's fighting to hold on to that seat. Uh, Trump, I think, has already been twice to the district. Uh, so folks should check out her campaign, support her, volunteer, do what they can. Do what you can. And also put up your Biden signs. Um, yes. Yes. You know how we get enthusiastic. Is when we, I just ordered five of them. Oh, like did you? you? Get enthusiastic. I'm I'm giving them to other people. But you I mean, I'm putting them up. You, you like show enthusiasm. Show like, enthusiasm. That's how it happens. You, it, it spreads. It's a, you know spreads. what? I, uh, I, I walked by a, a bakery that was selling Joe and Kamala like shortbread cookies. <laughs> and, oh. and, and I felt really, I felt like, I, I was like, oh, that's so fun. And I felt enthusiasm. So there are li- these little acts, I think you're mm-hmm. right, show enthusiasm because it is a, um, infectious, um, like yeah. a pandemic. All right. Um, <laughs> You are so punny today. I know. What is wrong with me? Let us move on to topic number three. Uh, We read a piece in the Times called Sweatpants Forever by Irina Alexander, in which she points out that in April, clothing sales fell 75% of the United States, the largest dive on record. Purchases of sweatpants, though, were up 80%. Um, She makes the case that the fashion industry as we know it is dead. Um, (laughs) Allison... Uh, what did you think of this piece? Has fashion changed forever? Probably, but it seemed like that's kind of been the trajectory either way. You know, I think that like the, the old school model of like these big fashion shows and like seasonal, you know, like different seasons, collections and all that stuff, like everything is so immediate now that it's like people want to see something and then be able to get it right away. So like the buildup is a little tougher, but I, I don't know. I'm look, I, haven't worn real pants in years. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I am a huge proponent of comfy clothes. Um, I'm very excited about where this is heading. I think that so much of, of fashion is just like the patriarchy, uh, making women uncomfortable. Um, and so I think that this is kind of a really exciting time, um, where people will maybe realize that I, I, I also think fashion is important, right? Cause I also think that there's a lot of self-expression that happens in fashion, Um, so maybe now there being this sort of, um, middle ground where there's not this need necessarily for like working women to feel like they have to wear high heels. Um, but like, you know, they can still buy things that, you know, they can get their tie dye sweatpants too, you know, like there, I think there will still be personality to fashion, but maybe not as like physically restricting and painful to wear. Um, I, you know, I actually, I thought this, this piece was really eye opening because I frankly didn't know any of this stuff about the fashion industry. Um, and one of the things that I was just like alarmed by is that the, the, the internet had kind of created, the immediacy of the Mm -hmm. internet had created this demand for constant collection. So it went from just two a year to like, and there's four a year. And sometimes there are six depending on what. And, and, um, the, it, it led to this cycle of overproduction and, the the cycle of overproduction was so insane that basically they were constantly selling to stores. Stores couldn't sell the inventory, so they would discount it. And then what they couldn't sell, they would sell. They would send back to the designers. And at one point, um, the the luxury brand Burberry, yeah. a British label, revealed. I'm, I'm quoting from the article here. Revealed that it had been burning, not metaphorically, but literally burning 
$37 million of worth, worth of merchandise per year to maintain brand value so that there wouldn't be just random fucking Burberry people, you know, outfits running around, um, that it would still be some sort of exclusive thing that people didn't buy, um, off, off the discount rack. Uh, I was shocked mm-hmm. to know, first of all, that there was this kind of inventory that luxury brands would go to such links, um, to deal with that inventory, but then they were still, there was still some weird pressure to keep producing new lines and new, I mean, I, I was shocked. Sally, what did you think of this piece? Well, I just want to say, first of all, that, um, this is the first time I've ever been asked my opinion about fashion, and I'm <laughs> really, 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 really excited. As uh, as the, you look dapper, like every time the, I see you, so I yeah, feel like... I've gotten a little pudgier, and you know, thank you, COVID, and am single-handedly keeping the uh, lesbian in cargo pants situation. <laughs> Uh, going so I really the don't know as I have much real. to thank you yeah oh fuck. big pockets <laughs> count me in I uh, bought my first pair of jeggings uh, as I believe they're called and not jeggings no no joggers joggers that's the right term here joggers uh, in April during the spike so I now am trendy and uh, have yet to wear them out of the house in a non-exercise setting because I just I can't go that far. Yeah. Um, I do think, you know, this This is, you know, f- I mean, all seriousness aside, uh, or all joking aside, sorry, we're going in the other direction. <laughs> Fast fashion is is truly a troubling phenomenon. And the sort of general ways, in particular, that social media hypes up our need for kind of r- repeated production and, uh, you know, refreshing of stuff and right, right, is deeply and intensely disturbing. And at the same time that these trends are being driven by, that's the weird thing, is by the same people who say that they want to save the planet. And I mean on the consumer side, right? Um, And yet we are embracing these cultural trends that are so, so intensely wasteful. Um, That Berber example just took my breath away and is such a 2020 metaphor right there. But also like, what the fuck? Right. What the actual fuck is it's it shows how this is all such a performance piece, right? Around I mean, yes, I listen, I like nice clothes and I like nice things and right, but there enough is enough at a certain point and right. so to figure and, out how to I, find the balance. I think the int- I mean and, and I think that's the the in, the key that even the the writing here doesn't necessarily address for me is that the balance is not actually online retail, right? Because we're still doing the disposable clothes. It just because luxury brands that have led the fashion industry might fail because of the pandemic or because or that they had been already starting to fail over a decade of weird overproduction and um and you know you know strange cycles or whatever. Um doesn't mean that what the the alternative is any better when it comes to responsible fashion, right? Because to me, anything you order and have delivered on um, 
have delivered to your home that were, that uses jet fuel from China or whatever to get to your fucking apartment, you're still a part of the problem, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm so hardcore, like do not shop online because it's the, the net effect of that. Each person individually getting their thing, um, is, is just, it's atrocious. Right. And it's so, and there's still a disposability. So athlete, even if we're wearing sweatpants, the, the athleisure phenomenon, which in the beginning I thought, oh, that's nice. There's ways of making um, sporty clothes look a little nicer, whatever. So at first I, I, I almost embraced it, though I could never publicly do it myself. And now I think it is grotesque. I like I look and this may be the patriarchy speaking, Allison, I'm sorry, but like. I think that you shouldn't go to the airport looking like, you know, you you have a f- the flu and you're watching cartoons on your couch. Why do you, you know care? I mean? Why do you care I what other just, people wear? I, I just I care that there's a modicum of respect for each other that like I don't know that. that but how we, is that? How is someone wearing sweatpants not being respectful to you? I mean, you know, I look again. I. I don't disagree that this is the patriarchy talking through my mouth. Okay. Like, <laughs> I know. I know that I just, I, I have, I, I look back at old movies and stuff like that. And I think uh, what care they put into being in the world, right? And just, and the handshakes and the hats and the, and the dresses and the whatever. And like all of that stuff. Yes, maybe it was too much, whatever. But it was also just this like, we had some sort of res- uh, respect for our public selves and we ha- and there's like kind of none of that now and mm-hmm. i think it sort of leaches into the way that we also behave with one another like there's no like formal like hello missus hello sir like for respect like respectful language everything's so fucking casual i don't know and i'm casual like i don't know i'm 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 being contradictory uh, but you know i don't necessarily live by I know example. you dropping the f-bombs yeah fuck i know yeah, totally but you know i know I mean? but There's i feel like it a- too and i feel it with my kid i really have to tell mm-hmm. you as like the mother of a 12 year old girl yeah I am very conscious, and Allison, to your point, it's like I'm very conscious of when I'm, you know, sort of reinforcing the patriarchy and these sexist norms about young women and their bodies and what they should. And on the other hand, like, I, you know, belly shirts. We can have an extensive conversation about belly shirts. And I think about it with music, too. I'm like, wow, you know, three generations ago the parents were freaking out when the kids were listening to the Rolling Stones. So who am I to judge Halsey? And yet do I want my kids singing those lyrics? Like it's a very, it is a very complicated, I do kind of long for the era where, you know, we dressed up to fly if we ever fly again. And yet I appreciate comfy pants when you fly, but I will not fly in joggers because nobody (laughs) needs to see that. But see, like I, I just like, Oh, my brain is exploding because like, the things that you're attaching to your body and like the importance that you're putting on like your body is so harmful. I think in the long term, about like in, in reality, what matters is like respect and humanity and like treating each other with compassion and empathy. And none of that is tied to like, if you're wearing sweatpants or not. So I think that it's just like a misunderstand, a misdirection or like, um, 
or like a projection of the values that we all agree on. But I think that you guys feel like these values involve things that they don't necessarily need to. No, you're, I, yes I mean, look, no, you're, right? you're, you're kind of, I mean, you're absolutely right in some respects and then in other respects. <laughs> Like all of this is still coming from you judging you. other people. Like, why are you judging other people? Like, you can but absolutely but wait a second, wait a still get dressed up and dress the way that you want. But I think that this like patrolling of each other's um, but wait a wardrobes second. Is, is, is strange. It, is it a different? But wait a second. Patrolling no, I mean, and I'm not, policing. I'm not trying like, to patrol. I'm not at an individual level. I feel like there's a difference between an individual level of judgment, right? Like. I'm going to, and and I can recognize even when I do that, like I see someone wearing X and I make a whole set of assumptions different than if I see someone wearing Y and I can recognize that that's problematic and that that is definitely the patriarchy and whatnot and classism and all of these things playing out in my brain. And I think I can think that at the same time, I bring a healthy curiosity, if not doubt about the choices we make as a society about what our you know, uh, what are the sort of standards in in which we dress? And by the way, as a mother of a daughter, I'm aware of the way the trends, right? The dominant trends. On the one hand, I could say, okay, questioning him or whatever is doing everything you just suggested. And on the other hand, like, why is it that boys right now get to wear baggy clothes, like 10 times oversized, and girls are wearing incredibly tight clothes and like shoes that are bad for their backs. So I don't, I I think it's possible to bring a a curiosity and even critique to it that I hope is, comes from a place of, you know, dignity and respect and equality and justice and not just oppression and judgment, but maybe not. Right. I think, I think the weird thing that's happening right, right now, and maybe this, because this is like a transitional phase is that we're still operating like what women, you know, if women are wearing sweatpants, they're skin tight, right? They're, you know, I'm, I'm talking mm-hmm. in generalities, of course. Um, not me. But, we know. I know you mean not me. That's not, fine. <laughs> well, you know, I was, it's, I was at a, I was, you know, I was like at a park the other day and I, I saw, you know, I saw a band of like 30 something moms and with their babies and stuff like that. And they all had the same, you know, uh, leggings on, but accentuating leggings. And I was like, well, that's a, that's a comfort thing, but it's still a, a, mm-hmm. a, 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 a view me as a sexual object thing. See, so I, I, I totally so disagree with that. I think that we, think. we put sexuality onto people's bodies. It's just their body. Like we're taking that right. step There's, to say like they're they're showing off their body for sexual reasons when maybe those leggings are just comfortable. Maybe they're just comfortable. And you're you're absolutely right. But right. they're, we, 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 second, we but they're what we know. We can't know what, what it's for. Right. But comfort is also socially constructed. I mean, we, we've decided that that's what's comfortable for women. Right. And something else is comfortable for men. Now, I'm not the, yeah. I happen to prefer baggier clothing. So I've obviously it's obviously possible to buck the trend. But what is it's it's very hard to disentangle, even if we take sexualization out of it, it's very hard to disentangle what we've been told to believe is stylish. I mean, I think about this. This is a completely random whatever in terms of fashion trends. Right. Like suddenly I remember there was a year it was sometime in the 90s where like really, really pointy elf hats were in style. Does anybody remember this? And so suddenly, like, in New York, like, everybody's trendy is walking around in, like, really, this must have been the late 90s, because I was living in New York, 
And so everyone's weird. walking around with like really sharp, pointy elf hats. And I'm oh like, there's God. no way, right? Like no one independently decided that, right? So in other words, someone d- made a decision, right? And it wasn't like one person. It wasn't like Anna Winter decided, but there is a cultural normative decision that women are going to wear these kinds of sexy tight pants and men are going to wear these kind of pants. And I'm just saying that is also a gendered and socially constructed construct. And I just want you to know my 12 year old just gave me a thumbs up for that one. Hey, um, you're doing a podcast. Even though she audience. wants to wear tight pants. I mean, I it's, you know, Allison, it's like everything you're saying makes so much sense. And then at the same time, everything Sally is saying makes so much sense. And then at the same time, I like wearing really cute outfits. <laughs> I think that's the other thing is like, I just can't, like, I am just a like, let's put on an outfit and go into the world person, which I know. But you can always prob- be that. Like, it's right, not that course. people are saying like, oh, yeah. you have to wear this. It's more just like, let people wear what they want to wear. And I think that like, as people are now pushing, obviously there's so much work to be done and I'm living in a liberal bubble of Los Angeles, but as people are now pushing against the gender binary, you are seeing, I think hopefully as our kid, you know, as when I have kids and as your kid grows up, that there will be less pressure in terms of, okay, this is for boys, this is for girls. And it's more just like, what do you want to wear? Um, And I think that that's the goal. And I think the goal is that like everyone figures out what works for them. And absolutely there are fashion trends and people feel compelled to buy things that they do not need to have. And that like environmentally, that is an issue. But if we can get to a place where it is just, okay, what works for you? What do you want to wear? And then we, and then that's it, (laughs) you know? And then there's not that judgment of like, what you're wearing is not what I would wear. Like, okay, that's fine, but you don't have to wear that. You know, and everyone we, just picking for themselves what works for them. No, I mean, I hear you. And I think of, yeah, I think this, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in the next 10 years. Um, and I want to say in closing, please support your local businesses. <laughs> oh. Yeah, because buy your tight wear, pants or wear, your loose pants locally. Locally, locally. You are, um, the money you spend now is going to inform what, uh, what our what our communities look like in the post pandemic, right? So, like, if you want uh, to to if you want a faceless checking corporation to send you sell you athleisure wear um, and make money in the skies, uh, that's sad. <laughs> so support your local businesses. All right, that is the end of the show, folks. I like to end the show by asking. Um, what has made you feel hopeful? Because uh, we're doing optimism here on Fake the Nation. I don't know if you've noticed. And Allison, is there something that has made you feel hopeful about the situation that we're in? It could be anything small or large. It could be, you know, a, a Pop-Tart you ate. Or it could be some really ridiculous act of kindness that you witnessed. Um, I think that I am just uh, excited about the youth. I think that the, you know, Gen Z is coming in hot. I think that they um, are political. I think that they're energized. And I'm just excited to to kind of hand things off to them and be like, please fix it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Sally. Uh, well, amidst too many Trump signs, as discussed earlier, uh, near where my folks live uh, outside of Allentown, Pennsylvania, I saw a sign Uh, that said, vote your hopes, not your fears. Mm. And it just 
stuck with me. It is aspirational in every way, uh, but it is a reminder to do that. And uh, I thought it was, it was lovely. It gave me hope. Or it reminded it, me that I have hope. <laughs> it's so 2008, right? <laughs> Uh, can we all yeah. just transport bring ourselves back. back there mentally and treat this election like it's 2008? Oh, um, right. I, and I, I love that. And I'm hopeful, you know, I, I keep seeing, um, you know, and I've, I've been, wi- I've bo- born witness, born witness. No, I've, <laughs> um, I've witnessed um, these kind of like spontaneous acts of musicalness. Um, there's this thing like it called, um, I, I love the West Village or something. Uh, um, welcome back to the West Village. I can't remember. And I've seen um, a bunch of videos coming out of like musicians just like doing kind of like street parades in the West Village of New York City. And it's fantastic. And it makes me feel so enthusiastic and so hopeful. Um, and and I want to point your attention to an organization called New York Next. You should totally follow them on Instagram. They're at NYC Next. And they're doing a bunch of fun things to help people remember the joy about New York City. It's um, going to be you know, trickling out um, in the coming weeks. So follow them at NYC Next on Instagram. There's they're they're doing a bunch of fun things um, to kind of to for people to help people remember that joy um, about New York City. Uh, I would love for the people of Faith the Nation to follow you guys and um, the, all the good works that you do, Allison. Where should they do that? Uh, so I'd love uh, for people to check out my podcast, Just Between Us, that I co-host with Gabby Dunn. And then on social, I'm just at Allison Raskin across the board. It's such a fun podcast. Please uh, <laughs> subscribe immediately. It's so great. Uh, Sally, uh, where do people find you? I am Sally K-O-H-N on uh, all the things. I guess not all the things. There are now new things I don't know about. But on Instagram and Twitter <laughs> and Facebook... Because uh, I'm old. I'm on those things. And uh, SallyConeKOHN.com. Uh, and don't forget her book, The Opposite of Hate. Uh, it's a fantastic book. Um, and you Thank folks, you. Uh, I'm on a recent episode of Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I try and say funny things about science that I don't fully understand. Um, and uh, in, in um, upcoming, I'm going to be... I'm gonna be um, moderating a conversation with uh, Rami Youssef at the Toronto International Film Festival. They're doing a bunch of virtual events and I think they're doing some live stuff in, if you're in the Toronto area. Uh, but I'm gonna be doing a virtual event with Rami Youssef um, from the from the show Rami. So you should, uh, you know, if you're a, t- a ticket holder, I don't know exactly how it works. <laughs> you can see me do that. Well, this is so unhelpful, the way that I promote my things. Um, anyways, oh, and, and my, re- my most recent uh, column in the Progressive Magazine is uh, available and it's about um, defund the police and what do we, how do you do? How do you, what is the what? Uh, and it's all questions and not very many answers, but anyways, it's still, I think, a lot of interesting questions. Um, but what I would really like to do is thank the production team here at Fake the Nation that makes our show possible. That's our producer, Anita Flores, our talented audio engineer, Andy Christens, Gabi Alter wrote our theme music, and Lily Fleshler helps with research. And listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Send us your feedback, topics we should be chatting about, guest ideas. You can leave us a voicemail at 331-901-0005 or drop us a line at commentsoffakethenation.com. If you like what you hear, um, please favorite Fake the Nation on Stitcher. Follow us on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. I had no idea. Several thousand of you listen on Spotify. I didn't know. So 
follow us there. Um, and do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps people find the show. Thank you so much. We'll be back in your earballs uh, next week. <laughs> 